My name is Ricky. I am one of the pastors here at Roseburg Alliance, and uh, about every other month I get the awesome privilege of preaching and sharing God's Word. And today's that day. So welcome. I get the uh, awesome opportunity, if you look over to your right and to your left, we're in the sermon series through the book of First Peter right now, First um, and Second Peter, and it's we've titled it Living Proof of a Loving God. And uh, I get to continue on in that. We're going to be in chapter 4 of First Peter today, so you can stick your finger in there, uh, find it, and, and locate it, and, and get ready for it. And the whole idea is this, that in the midst of our lives, as we walk with Jesus, as we walk with Christ, that we have opportunities to be, uh, to shine like the light that Jesus calls us, Him being the true light, and, and in that, having the opportunity to be living proof of a loving God, so that people might look at our lives and hear our words and, and be curious about our God and that we might have the courage to say something along with the life we live that gives testimony to who our God is, our living hope. And that's what this verse over here is talking about, kind of our memory verse that um, he's caused us to be born again and that we have hope in Christ, Christ Jesus, the hope, living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So that's kind of where we're at. And today I get the opportunity to talk about suffering. Uh, in the book of First Peter, he's, he's talking to his audience about uh, kind of an impending suffering that's going to be happening. First of all, they're experiencing persecution and tribulation quite a bit. And uh, Nero's about to come on the scene, and, and he's known to be one of the, the cruelest antagonists towards the Christian faith. He actually would burn Christians alive. Right, so just an antagonist towards so even his own people. Romans would say that he was uh, cruel, right? And so Peter, he's giving this strong message about persecution that's going to happen to the church, persecution that's coming, and that's kind of what we get to talk about today: is is struggle, trials, persecution, hardships, and suffering. So before we get there, uh, I thought it was curious this last week as we went through this snowstorm and faced kind of a, a struggle in, in our own right here in Douglas County and Roseburg. Um, like Grant talked about, we had an opportunity to pray for those people and for those who are helping and for those who are still without power and whatnot. And, you know, for us, my family at home, it, it was interesting. We, we were able to come home on Sunday and, and get out there at the snow. I was passing, I was driving through town trying to get home because we were waiting here to see if we were going to cancel youth group and whatnot because who knew, right? And, and canceling Alpha that night. So I drove home. You know, past, I think it was three trees, two power poles, two car accidents, and I almost hit a horse, right? Like, it got real in a quick, quickly out there, and it was scary. It took me an hour to get home, which is like a 15-minute drive, typically. So it was super exciting, and, and so that first night, we just kind of got home, got settled, and went to bed with no power and whatnot. We weren't prepared, no propane, all that stuff. This might be some of your experience. The next day, we uh, Monday, uh, we were kind of coming to grips with the reality of, of um, how widespread this was going to be and how long we'd be without power. And like many of you, we were out of um, water. You know, we're doing the whole melt snow to flush the toilet thing and, and uh, no power. And, and along with that, hardly any cell phone reception. Uh, so we were able to send a text out every once in a while. And um, definitely no cellular data. But what I thought was cool was uh, I still, any of you use the Bible app? on your cell phone, your smart device, 
there's a Bible app. It's the Bible and it has a lot of cool features. And one of those cool features is called the verse of the day, right? So, uh, so with no cellular data, I'd still get the verse of the day. And it's kind of cool. I, I enjoy it. Every day it sends you a verse meant to be challenging or encouraging or something like that. And you can get, set the time at which it sends you this verse. So it could be the first thing you, that you see on your phone when you wake up in the morning. It gives you a verse. Or you can have it come. I think my settings are for 10 o'clock a.m. so that it doesn't wake me up. Um, and other people like it different you know, different settings. But at any rate, mine's set for about 10 a.m. And like I said, there's no cellular data, so we wouldn't get anything. But Monday night when we were kind of settling in and realizing that we're probably going to be here for a while and stuck in this for a while and not knowing how extreme it was going to be, I got the verse of the day. It came, I think, closer to 10 o'clock at night, maybe 9 o'clock at night. It was dark and we were sitting there and the verse of the day, ding, you know, my phone dings and, and here comes the verse of the day. It somehow made it through and it said this, and I thought this was very curious of the Lord. It said, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I don't know if you guys uh, received this verse or saw it, but I thought that was kind of cool because the first 24 hours was exciting, wasn't it? Right? We brought out the board games. Everyone was talking to each other. It was fun. We personally cooked our meals out on a campfire, and uh, it was really exciting. And so I got this verse, and that was encouraging. Like, oh, we, we took shelter at my in-laws' place, and we as Christians should take shelter in, in the most high. So that was fun. And, uh, you know, the day goes on. 24 hours goes by, and then Tuesday comes, and it's starting to settle in uh, that, oh, man, you know, when's the power coming back? Some people have started to get their power back, and it's starting to get old, you know. Um, and you're wondering if the anxiety maybe starts to set in, and, and you maybe start to go get cabin fever and go a little bit stir-crazy, and then, ding, the phone goes off with the verse of the day, and it said this. Um, on Tuesday, it said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I said, thanks, Lord. You know, I need that because, you know, we're, we were blindsided, if you will, uh, totally unprepared. And, and, you know, we made our trek into town. You know, if you made it out, everyone was scurrying. There's no propane. The gas lines were crazy. And, you know, we were just grabbing everything like, ah, I don't know. Do I need more ketchup? We should get more ketchup and all this stuff. And, and it was like that, right? The frenzy. And, and you're starting to feel the anxiety of it. And I got this verse today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that was cool. Uh, day three comes around for us, still without power. And uh, that's when it's, you know, you stink because you haven't had a shower in a couple of days. And we started to try to venture out, dig the cars out, and, and get off the, the driveway and started to do stuff like that. And, and everyone's irritable at this point, right? Um, the, the kids, some of you experienced it. The kids, um, myself, um, that's it, I won't say anyone else, but we're all irritable, and just like, if you poke me, it would set me off, like, ah, you know, no bad sleep, and cold, and building fires, and all this stuff, just all together, and then ding, the verse of the day came in, this was great, I'm like, I think God's speaking to me, I'm not sure, and it said this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, um, okay, <laughs> You've got my attention, like, all right, we can we can get through this. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. And that was difficult. We had the craziest, like, like arguing over nothing like ketchup or something like that. And, you know, everyone's irritable at this point. And it was just at that point, like, all right, God, um, maybe you have something for us in this. And then the next day comes where we're, we're really feeling like champions here. We, we, you know, we made our supplier into town. We finally dug out the cars and... Um, we cleaned out the fridge. You guys all clean out your fridge and all that stuff, 
right? And we're feeling like minimalists. We got our outfit we, we, that we're, we've been wearing. Um, everything that's not necessary is not in use and, and just down to the bare bones. And then the next verse of the day comes in. It says this, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And then the next day goes on and it talks about remember to obey the commandments of the Lord and not to sin against him by walking in his ways and not your former ways. And, and then I told the Lord, like, man, if the verse for today is, you know, Acts 1-6, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit <laughs> comes upon you, that I, you'd really have my attention at that point. Um, but alas, we have not received power, at least at our house yet. So here we are. Uh, last week I was at Green Community Church and was actually able to preach on that verse a little bit. Um, a, a sister church of ours down in Green, um, preaching on the Great Commission and, and calling and whatnot. And I, I preached, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then went home and it was all gone. So we'll see if they let me come back there. Uh, at any rate, all that to say this, um, in, 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 in life, we will have problems we will suffer, we will have trials, uh, persecution for some of us to, to varying degrees, hardships, heartache, things where we look and, and say, this isn't fair, why is this happening to me? Things where we look in our world and say, this isn't fair, why does this exist, why is this happening? And in, in some time and in some way and in varying degrees, all of us will experience hardship. Maybe for some of us, we've been experiencing hardship for a prolonged time period of time and you're asking the Lord when is this going to pass like when when do I get to get out of the trials and kind of be see some sunnier days right and maybe for some of us you know everything's comfortable and everything's good and has been for a long time in, in which I would say man the Bible promises opposition in, to, to some degree um, so when, when am I going to see the Lord working in my life to the point that I experience this opposition, right? So maybe we're in one of those two camps this morning. At any rate, wherever you find yourself this, this morning, today, this week, at this point in the season in life, what, what I want us to hear is this, that we will experience trials, tribulations, persecution, hardships in various degrees at various times, and the Lord has a plan for us. The Lord has a plan for us to, to, to not only get through it, but to experience growth in it, to experience joy in it, and be able to bless other peoples and be ambassadors of growth and joy in it also. And that's what we're going to talk about today in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, as sort of a framework, I want to ask this question. What does it mean to suffer as a Christian? What does it mean to suffer as a Christian? Because here's the temptation. A lot of us will tend to disassociate ourselves from suffering because we think suffering as a Christian is, is purely means persecution, being persecuted as a Christian. And while that is true, and while that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about today in 1 Peter 4, uh, a, a wider framework for suffering biblically is more than just Christian persecution. And there's a few other factors that lend itself to the idea of, of what suffering is. And I want to talk about that a little bit so we can understand What's God's plan for me when those times come and I experience them personally? So the Bible describes suffering in a few different ways. One is deserved suffering. And deserved suffering is when I'm a knucklehead and I sin, I'm going to pay the consequences for my sin, right? Any of you experience this? 
probably a lot of us. And, and what that means is this. Sin always has consequences, whether that be external or inter- internal, internal turmoil that you experience. Sin has consequences. And when we sin against God, we have to pay the price for those sins, right? And that is deserved suffering. That means I inflicted, I brought this upon myself, and now I'm suffering for the, con- the consequences of my own bad decisions and sin. So we understand that. And the Bible speaks of that. I think of David after he sinned with Uriah and Bathsheba and that whole instant, he, he kind of pens his thoughts there about um, this inner turmoil that he was going through in the Psalms, right? And how he was in anguish and how his bones were rotting away when he kept this thing a secret. And when it wasn't until he confessed it by the prompting of the prophet Nathan that, that he felt some relief from that inner turmoil, that inner suffering that he was going through. He was in a bad place, Right? So that's deserved suffering. Innocent suffering would be something like natural disaster. Maybe you can say what we experienced in this last week would be um, innocent suffering to whatever degree you suffered or, or this trial affected you, right? Um, and that's also, you know, children in other parts of the world that don't have access to medicine suffering from common illnesses. That's innocent suffering. And, and we look around and we say, ah, why does that exist? Why is that a problem? Why is that something we suffer? Why is it something we struggle with in, in the world today? And then a third one is righteous suffering. And righteous suffering is what we're going to talk about today, and that's persecution, where you are, are suffering because of the exclusively because of the fact um, that you are a Christian and have Christian beliefs and ideals. And that's what First Peter 4 is about today. So when the Bible speaks of suffering... It's most, often that the, it's most often the case that God's trying to help us understand how to deal with suffering, regardless of what you're suffering from. So in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, Paul speaks of his own suffering. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you, we know he suffered, right? We know he suffered quite a bit in his missionary endeavors to try to preach the, the gospel to the known world. So in, first, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, Paul lumps all kinds of suffering together and says, I suffered for Christ. And in that, he lumps together that he suffered illness, that he suffered natural disasters and storms, that he suffered imprisonment, that he suffered beatings. He talks about the rivers, and he talks about robbers on the road. And he takes all these, these varying degrees of suffering, whether it's, it's imprisonment for his faith or illness or natural disasters or robbers or, 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 or beatings, and he says, this is what it means to suffer with Christ. This is what it means to suffer for Christ. And here's his conclusion about suffering. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, I boast in my weakness and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. For when I am weak, I am strong. So God has a plan for us because here's what would happen if we don't understand God's framework for suffering and God's plan for us in a time of suffering and trials. We'll go through it alone and we'll get crushed by the weight of the pain, by the weight of the trial, by the weight of the circumstances and we'll feel hopeless and that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to have hope. God wants us to feel his hope and be living hope in the world. Um, John Piper, modern-day theologian and, and, and pastor, says this when it comes to Christian suffering. He says, The pain that happens to you on the path of obedience to Christ is suffering with Christ. All affliction from man or nature has the same potential to destroy your faith 
or make Christ look good. I want to read that one more time for you. It says, The pain that happens to you on the path of obedience to Christ is suffering with Christ. All affliction from man or nature has the same potential to destroy your faith or make Christ look good. So with that kind of um, opening framework with what it means to suffer and how we have an opportunity to suffer well, if that makes sense in any way, and how we have an opportunity to experience joy in suffering and growth in suffering, I want to read the text together and talk about a few aspects, and we'll go from there. So First Corinthians, excuse me, First Peter chapter four. We're uh, we've read half the chapter already, and we find ourselves in verse twelve. So First Peter chapter four, picking up in verse twelve, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says this, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. So in speaking about suffering, like I mentioned before, in, in the trials, they're inevitable. They're, they're going to happen as part of life. We will experience trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world, right? So that's a, that's a promise. That's a biblical promise that we sometimes ignore because it's not one of the happy, cheery promises of the Bible. But it says that we will have problems. We will have trials. We will have tribulation in this world. We will, we will suffer to various degrees for various reasons. Specifically, in talking about persecution here, Peter begins the text in verse 12 by saying, beloved, beloved. And and I, I think this is important to note because as you read through scripture, especially in the epistles, you will see the saints, Christians, people of God um, identified as, as beloved. In Romans chapter 1 verse 7, Paul calls Christians, the people under Christ, the beloved of God. So if you're following in the notes, the first thing I want you to write down if you're a note taker or if you have the piece of paper in front of you is this. I am beloved of God. And this is critically important to our understanding as we face trials, as we face hard times, as we face persecution, as we face um, trials and temptations. Because if you don't understand that God loves you, the temptation is to believe that you're going through a hard time as sort of a punishment for something that you're going through a hard time and and that God's trying to get you, right? And that's so not the character of God and that's not at all what he's doing in in trials and in tribulation and struggle in our life because we know this, that Jesus, he already paid the price for our sin. He He already was punished for our sin, Right? He suffered. He took the beatings already for our sin, the punishment for our sin. 
He went to the cross and hung there and died for our sins. So when you experience hard times, when you experience persecution, when you experience struggle and trial, it's not because God is mad at you. It's not because God is mad at you and he's trying to punish you. We know that's not true. It can't be true because Jesus already took the punishment for our sin. The idea that you are the beloved of God means that God loves you, that God's for you, that God's for your soul, that God cares deeply for you, more than you can yourself and more than anyone can in this world. You are the beloved of God. And like I said, without that framework, understanding trials and suffering, without the framework that you are beloved, beloved of God, it makes it way more difficult to reconcile why we might be going through hard times or struggling in our faith. I know myself personally, many times in life, um, I ask God, like, God, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? Um, why do I have to experience this? Um, I can't bear the weight of this, and, and I, why do I have to? I ask many times. I had a, a growing up, I had to grow up rather quickly in in my family, and experience a lot of things that, um, you know, I wouldn't have asked for, but that I look back retrospectively and, and, and thank God for because there were trials that were, were foundational to my faith and were, were pillars in my Christian walk. Things where I asked those very those, those questions, like, God, why are you doing this to me? Um, where I had no idea, you know, that it wasn't God punishing me or, or in, inflicting pain upon me, um, but rather it was just a, a trial that I experienced in life that God had a plan for me that God had a plan with. So, you are the beloved of God. God loves you. God is for you. If you keep looking, it says this in verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. If you're following the notes, the second one is this. Trials are inevitable. We already mentioned John 16.33 where Jesus promises trouble in this world that he has overcome the world. But we understand from this text that trials are inevitable. Uh, Peter says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Look at the language he used. First of all, he says, Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that's going to come upon you. Don't be surprised. Be ready. Have a plan. Understand that it's coming, that persecution is coming, that trouble's coming, that hard times are coming. Um, I have a three-year-old boy and to kind of understand this concept of, of the surprise at it is this. Um, we have some boundaries and some rules in our house, right? We have little tiny dogs, and he's bigger than them. So what he likes to do is he likes to play with the dogs. But him playing with the dogs means like pulling their legs and dragging them around. And the little dogs absolutely don't like that, right? The, the smallest of the dogs, I think she's like six or seven pounds. Her name's Molly. And when he enters the room in the morning, right, she like, she shakes, and she goes and she hides in her room because she's scared of him. Because what he likes to do, she sleeps in a bundle of blankets like most wiener dogs do, right? So he'll come and he'll get on the couch and like dive bomb into the blankets. And he thinks it's fun and she does not think it's fun. So she cowers and she, she runs when he comes. And, and the other dog, she, she knows that she needs to stand her ground. So she'll like nip at him. and she'll. But eventually she's still smaller than him. So she loses. And so our rule, the boundary in our house is, hey, buddy, you're going to get 
a discipline. You're going to get disciplined. You're going to get consequences if you keep doing that. And he knows this. We've been working with him on this for like a year. I don't know if he'll ever get it. But it's an everyday thing. Like literally every day, he's pulling the dogs around by their ears or hurting them to some degree. So we've been working on it for a while. So he knows. It's no surprise when he gets the discipline that's due him because of the consequences of his actions. But yet when the discipline comes, he, he, he looks at us like he's all betrayed. Like, why would you do that to me? Like, he's surprised, right? Like, why would you put me in the, in the corner? Why would you give me time out? Why would you discipline me? And we're like, bud, you know, like, you can't mess with the dogs. Just don't even look at them. Leave them alone until you can understand that you're, they're for gentle hands, not whatever you're doing. So he, there's this sense of surprise when, when he gets the discipline for his actions. And, and conversely, in this text, um, Peter's telling us, Christians, these Christians, not to be surprised when trials come, as if we weren't warned, as if we don't know the climate of our culture and where it's heading, right? And it's still relevant today, right? Maybe not to the same degree as them yet. Like I said, Nero was coming on the scene and he was, he was going to make human torches out of Christians, which is just crazy to fathom. And that's the fiery trial that we're talking about here. But, but for us, some of us see it in our jobs to varying degrees, this kind of persecution um, where you can't say anything and, and you'll get opposition when you do or in schools or, or whatever the case may be. Opposition is here and, and even more so coming. Don't be surprised at it. When they come, right? Not if they come. When when trials come, the text says. Not if they come. They're, they're coming. They're on their way. As if something strange was happening. As if something strange were happening. Like, what is what is this? I didn't know. I, I, I had no idea this was coming. Um, the strange thing, like I already alluded to, would be for us to not ever experience any kind of opposition in our faith. That might be an indicator that something's broken, right? If, if we get to live in complete comfort and harmony with no Christian opposition whatsoever, that might be a warning sign. That might be a check engine light, right? Because the Bible is so clear that we will, we will, we will suffer, we will be opposed, we will go through trials, we will struggle in our faith. The Bible is so clear about that absolutely clear. And Jesus wants to show us how to handle them, how to grow from them, and how to honor Christ in our trials. So if you're following in the notes, the next thing is this. Trials are for our growth. Trials are for our growth. So like I said, it's not God punishing us, and scripture even tells us not to not to blame God, right, when we're tempted. So it's not God punishing us. It's not necessarily always God-inflicted. But the Bible says this. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. To test you. So what's the passing grade of a spiritual trial or a, or a test? Right? Growth. We want to we come out the other side of a test, of a trial, of persecution, of struggle. Growing closer to God. Not growing bitter towards God. Does that make sense? So the Bible says these are an opportunity for us to grow, a test for us to become more mature in our faith and in living in closer communion with him. Does that make sense? Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, 
along the same lines of it being a test and there being growth, says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what's the passing grade in going through trials? Not to be bitter, but be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right? Does that make sense? That when we come through something, we have an opportunity for growth. We have an opportunity to mature in our faith in Christ. Not to be bitter towards Him. And that's an interesting concept when we think about it. When we look at it in, with that perspective, from that framework, that trials, struggles, persecution, hardships can be an opportunity for us to grow. Because what I want to do in, in struggle and in hardships is kind of just curl up into a ball and say, I don't want the pain, let it pass. Right? And that might be real for most of us. A lot of us don't invite that unless you're that kind of you know, extreme about it. Like, oh, if trials are the way to uh, growth and joy, then I'm going to throw myself full into a trial and I'm going to go you know, cause trouble so that I get tr- trials. It doesn't work that way. And I personally know that I, I, I don't invite it in. I, I, I don't like having to experience pain and growth. And, um, but it's necessary for Christian maturity. Growth. Uh, God allowed Satan to test Job. Again, not to punish him, but because Job was a righteous man, right? And and if you've read the book of Job, it is tremendous. At it's tremendous, just what kind of suffering Job went through. God said, "Have you considered my servant Job?" And and Satan went all in on him, except God said, "Don't take his life." And and uh. What was the outcome for Job? If you read chapter 1, it, it says the fear of the Lord. Job feared the Lord. And he had this attitude of, of worship even in the midst of it. And, and that's amazing. So there was a test for growth, for, for Christian maturity. Next thing. Verse 13, if you're following along. Verse 13 says this, But... Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're following the notes, my next fill in the blank is this. Trials are for joy. Trials are for joy. When you go through a trial, not only is it an opportunity for growth, when you go through a trial, when you suffer persecution, when you go through hardships, it's an opportunity for joy. Now that's even more counterintuitive because it seems as if in the Bible, the way to experience joy, not exclusively, but one of the main roads to experience joy is through trial. 18 different times in the New Testament, joy and trials are linked together. Joy and trials are linked together as if to say one of the main roads to getting to joy in Christ is through, is through trial and persecution. Why is that? Because when we suffer, when we, when we go through hard times, it can do one of two things. It can drive you from the Lord or it can drive you to the Lord. Let it drive you to the Lord because that creates a closer communion with Christ when you're totally, utterly dependent on Him. Many of us have been there, right? Uh, They say God's office is at the end of our rope. Have you ever heard that expression, right? Where you've come to a point in your life where where you've suffered so much pain and hardship and endured a lot and you're like, I give up, God. Whatever you want, there's God there and He meets you there and and that, that brings you closer to Him than maybe you've ever experienced before in your life. And when you have that kind of close communion with joy himself, Jesus, God, 
that's why our trials can, can, can drive us towards joy and not away from it. So let our trials push us closer to Christ. Let our trials and, and persecution and tribulation and hardships push us towards Jesus because trials are for our joy. It seems counterintuitive, right? It seems counterintuitive to say you can experience joy in pain. And that seems like bad advice, right? It seems like bad advice to say, oh, but hey, I know you're suffering and that stinks and you're going through pain, but it's an opportunity for joy. That seems not right. But God in his upside down kingdom has made sense of it and, and, and says the way to life is through death. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The way to leadership is through servanthood. Those who are weak, God makes strong and God humbles those who are proud. There is joy to be had in trials, in persecution, in pain. It's an opportunity for joy. The reason trials create joy is because they create a closer dependence on God. And the closer you are to God, the more fulfilled your joy will be. So I'm kind of, I kind of established the framework at the beginning about, about trials and suffering and, and hardships. Give you a few points in the middle. I kind of want to close in on that a little bit more. And as we continue on in the text, it says this, um, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief on, or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteous, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be the outcome? Or excuse me, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So, kind of a framework for suffering as we continue on, as, kind of, as we kind of conclude this morning, is this: that Peter says that there's kind of a false suffering that we could experience in life too. He says, "Let none of you suffer as a murderer." or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. So, that's as if to say, we can kind of buy into this false suffering, and, and sometimes what it looks like is this, we can be a, a knucklehead, right, and play the martyr when, when no one likes us. And we can say, we're doing it in the name of Christ, or we can say, I'm on mission for Jesus, and, and, and people don't like me because of it, when really the truth of the matter is that you're just a jerk about it, Right? That can be true, too. I know for me, many times in my life, I, I've been in that. I, I was more on the side of, let me argue until you understand my point, or let me argue and, 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 and change you, right? But there's this kind of false suffering where we can buy into the idea that we're, we're you know, doing the Lord's work, and the reason why the people around us don't like us is because because we're a Christian, when really it's just, no, you're, you're mean about it, right? And, and there is a sort of false suffering. He says, as don't suffer. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, maybe not that, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler, right? And then he contrasts that, and he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So there's this idea of false suffering, and his greater, better idea of, of unashamed suffering. Let, there, let him not be ashamed to suffer as a Christian, but let him glorify God in that name. So what I want to, what I want to hear, what I want us to hear this morning is that when we suffer, when we go through trials, when we have a hard hardships, when we suffer various degrees of persecution, which we will, and even more so as the days grow darker, 
we can know and have confidence that what we have to look forward to in Christ, our living hope, is far greater than anything we can and will experience here on this earth. Does that make sense? What we have to look forward to in Christ, our living hope, is far greater than any struggle, persecution, hardship, trial, pain. And that's not to belittle the pain. It's very real. That's not to belittle the the persecution or the struggle. That's very real. But that's to say it'll be worth it in the end when we get to be with Christ where there are no more tears and where suffering is no more and where joy is everlasting. So for Christians, in the meantime, we can look at our trials and our struggles and our persecutions and confidence and say, Yes, this is not good. This is terrible. But my God is greater. My God is bigger. Each of us will face something, are facing something. We have people around us going through it right now uh, to varying degrees. I know this text is specific to persecution, and that's even uh, 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 becoming a stronger reality in our day, even though we have freedom of religion in this country. it's It's increasingly becoming to a point where we have less and less, right? And, and, and whatever it is for you, in whatever season of life you're in right now, we know that we can have hope in God because he's greater than anything we could experience in the here and now. What we have to look forward in Jesus is far better. So be mindful of each other. Be mindful of the fact that people around you might be suffering. Be mindful of yourself in this time of suffering. I, I know for us in the... Uh, the snow thing. It was so much easier to survive together than it was alone, right? I don't know if any of you fled to like neighbor's house or in-law's house like we did or, or anywhere else. And it's so much easier together than it was not. And uh, I'm grateful for that. But be mindful of the fact that people all around you all the time are suffering. That there's significant pain and hardships and you don't know the battles they're fighting. And, and And at some point, it's going to be us too. So how might God use you as an ambassador of truth to the people around you? How might God use you as an ambassador of truth to the people around you to speak truth into these situations that there's growth available, that there's joy available, that Christ is greater? Think about that and let that be the application point for you. Last verse, verse 19 says, Let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Last note I'll have you write down if you're following is this. Trust God and do good. Trust God and do good. And that seems like a very fitting um, application point for us today as we, we understand suffering, as we understand persecution and hardships and, and what's my role in that and understanding that people around us are, are going through it. What can I do as an ambassador of Christ as I understand that I'm going to go through it if we're being honest with ourselves. We can trust God and do good. Um, as we think about that, I want to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up and uh, just respond to that and, and not just say amen and walk out the doors and forget what we heard and experienced and read in God's word by tomorrow and go about our lives, but that God would uh, instill this truth, instill his word in our minds and in our hearts to the degree that we are changed by it. So let's pray together.
God, I thank you that you are good, that you're for us, that you love us deeply, that you care for us more than we can about ourselves or that anyone else could. And God, that I thank you that in your love you sent your son Jesus to die for us, for our sins, in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins and the consequences thereof. And God, because of that, we can have life everlasting. We can have joy complete. And God, I pray that while we're here on earth, that while you have purpose for us, that while we're alive and breathing, that we would cling to you in every day, in every way. That we'd look to the world around us and the opposition therein and the the trials and the struggle and the pain and and say, my God is, is greater. And that we'd understand that what we have to look forward to in a relationship with you is everlasting joy and it's far better than what we'll experience here. So God, be with us by your Holy Spirit. Continue to guide us in the truth and guide us to be more like you and to be closer to you. Jesus, we love you. Most importantly, we're thankful that you love us unconditionally. It's in your powerful, mighty, beautiful name we pray these things. Amen.